Well, let's turn to Mark chapter 12. The title of the message tonight is A Scribe Not Far from the Kingdom. A Scribe Not Far from the Kingdom. And we'll begin reading this account in chapter 12 and verse 28. And one of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and came, heard them arguing, and recognized that he had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? So he, this scribe, had been in several of the previous conversations that Jesus was in, and he recognized that Jesus was giving very good answers to the questions that were asking, being asked of him. So he desired to ask a question also. And the question he asked is, what commandment is the foremost of all? <clears throat> Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. So this account of this scribe is given in the midst of a number of questions that were asked Christ by the scribes and the Pharisees. In chapter 11, verse 28, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and they asked, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority to do these things? Uh, this was right after Jesus had uh, cast the money changers out of the temple, so it's not surprising these people were saying, by what authority are you doing something that uh, bold? And uh, really, uh, it would seem uh, pretty uh, brash even. So they said, by what authority are you doing these things? Well, uh, soon after that, some Pharisees came to him and asked, is it lawful to pay the tax to Caesar or not? Uh, another uh, very difficult question, and that one was posed really to try to trap him. And now, after he's answered those questions, here's this scribe. And he comes and he says, what commandment is foremost of all? Now, those first two groups that had questioned Christ 
really there was a lack of sincerity. But I don't think there was with this scribe. There's something different, a different attitude here. <clears throat> and that's why I think Jesus could say to this, this one, you're not far from the kingdom. He didn't say anything like that to the others. But to this one, he said that. Uh, so we just want to look at this a little bit and uh, try to draw out a few things that I, I felt were meaningful to me from this account as I was thinking through it. First of all, this scribe recognized that Jesus had answered these other questions posed to him in a, in a very wise and appropriate manner. So he knew that here was one he could ask an important question from. And this was an important question. I mean, it's uh, certainly something that a Jew would think about a lot since there were so many commandments. I mean, some, some people say, what is it, 613 or something like that, that the Jewish people recognized as commandments. Well, uh, he says, what's the foremost, what's the most important, where should I put the emphasis? Uh, and he asks this questions, a question to uh, Christ. Um, to answer this question, Jesus goes to some verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which actually the Jews knew very well. Um, these verses were part of what was called the Shema, which was a portion of scripture quoted both morning and evening by devout Jews. And it was a portion of scripture that if they, if they wore those little phylacteries, those little uh, leather boxes on their head and on their, on their wrist, that was one of the portions that was in there. Uh, this these verses. Why don't we turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Like I say, they would recite the, these uh, things, these portions of scripture that were part of this Shema, both morning and evening. And uh, the reason it's called the Shema, chapter 6 and verse 4, is because of the first word here, here. Uh, here uh, in Hebrew is Shema. And the idea is not just to hear, but to hear and heed, <coughs> hear and obey. And uh, so this was something that a, a devout Jew would know quite well, this, this uh, portion of Scripture. Well, let's read uh, down through verse 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as signs on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. That's where they got the idea of these phylacteries. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
So <clears throat> here was a very important section of scripture to the Jews, and uh, both this scribe and Christ would have known this portion from a very early age. Now, there's something kind of interesting here. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what to make of it, but uh, in quoting it, Jesus does change it slightly because he adds the words, with all your mind. That's not in, in the Deuteronomy 6 passage. But uh, he quotes it that way, and it seems like this, this scribe uh, had something of that understanding also. Because in verse 33 it says, And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength. So this part of loving God with your mind and with your understanding was something that uh, Christ put in here. And apparently the scribe had some reason for quoting it that way also. I don't, I, I don't know if there was some uh, translation that they were using or something, why that was the case. But nevertheless, that's uh, the way Christ presents it, and that's the way we usually say it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's just become part of the way we understand that portion of Scripture. Uh, now, I think that uh, in this particular account it becomes important because Jesus singles out the fact in verse 34 that when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, when Jesus perceived that this, this man had an understanding of the law that went quite a bit beyond what was the normal Jewish understanding here, uh, Jesus saw that he answered intelligently, and uh, therefore he said, you're not far from the kingdom. Uh, We, one thing I think we can draw from this is that we should never depreciate or deny the use of our understanding and God-given ability to think as we approach the scriptures. That's something made, being made in the image of God, God has given us, this ability to, to think and to dig into things. Now, that's different than using our mind uh, or as it it's said in the uh, Proverbs there to lean on our own understanding. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about using our mind the way God intended it to be uh, used, which is to humbly seek to understand and know God through his revelation in the world and in his word. If you're using your mind for that purpose, that's not leaning on your own understanding. Uh, that's using the mind the way God intended it to be. Well, I think this man was doing that. He, he came to Jesus because he recognized, here's someone that can give me some answers. That's a good use of the mind, to come to God for answers. And uh, so Jesus really commends him uh, and recognizes that he was answering intelligently, uh, that this man was using his mind for the correct purpose. Well, anyway, they knew this Shema, this portion of Scripture. Uh, but the, the second thing here that 
is quoted by Christ in verse 31. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's not part of the Shema. We, we always put them together because Christ did, but they're really in separate portions in the, in the Bible. And yet again, this scribe put them together, just the way Jesus did. So that shows some insight there. That actual scripture is from Leviticus 19.18. Let's turn back to that. Leviticus 19 and verse 18. Let's uh, actually begin reading in verse 17 because I want to point out something from this. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Moses is telling the people here, and really it's from God, that, uh, you know, you, you should love your neighbor as yourself. But the context shows that what they were thinking about when they were thinking about their neighbor was their fellow countrymen or the sons of your people. So it was somewhat limited in scope here, the idea of neighbor. And I think that's significant uh, because of another conversation that Christ had with an expert on the Jewish law. Um, And it's worth contrasting the one we're looking at here with this scribe to this other one in Luke chapter 10. So let's turn there. I know we're jumping around a lot, but I'm just trying to bring out a few thoughts that came to mind as I was looking at this section. Luke 10 and verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So he he nailed it too. He got that part right. And he said to him, "Have you, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But here's the significant difference, I think. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Wishing to justify himself. Wishing to make it so that I can fulfill this commandment in my own strength. If I limit this enough, I can do it. But Jesus always goes to the heart of things, you know. Uh, This guy knew the right answer, just as uh, the scribe that we're looking at right now knew the right answer. But this guy was further from the kingdom than the one we're looking at because he had a wrong attitude. He wished to justify himself. 
and he asks the question, who is my neighbor? And as usual, Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter and shows how deep this commandment really goes. Far from just uh, showing kindness to those we're close to, Jesus shows that this commandment is very, very broad, very inclusive, very deep, very hard to keep. Uh, And he also shows that, generally speaking, the religious leaders, like the person he was talking to, the religious leaders really didn't understand what it meant to love your neighbor. And he uses... (laughs) He uses a a priest and a Levite as examples of people who do not understand what it means to love your neighbor. Uh, They were the ones that passed by on the other side. Now, we're not told why they passed by on the other side. They, They saw the guy. Maybe they thought he was dead. Well, a priest or a Levite would know, I can't get around a dead body. I'd be ritually unclean, so I better stay away from that. That's a possibility. Maybe they figured that if he got robbed and beat up over there, I might get robbed and beat up if I go over there too, so I'm just going to pass by on the other side. Or maybe it was just too inconvenient to stop. Whatever the reason... They didn't stop. Uh, Jesus doesn't tell us why they passed by. Of course, this is a parable, but uh, he doesn't bring out that aspect of it. Just that they saw the situation and did nothing. But there was one who did something, not a priest, not a Levite, a despised Samaritan. He was the one that felt compassion and did something. He didn't just feel compassion. He did something. He came to him and bandaged up his wounds and poured oil and wine on them. So uh, he was the one who loved his neighbor as himself, the Samaritan. So now, if we go back, that's, I brought that out to contrast that with the account that we're looking at in Mark. So let's go back. <clears throat> Mark chapter 12. Here was a man who understood the importance of this commandment, these commandments of loving God and loving the neighbor. And it seems that Jesus detected something different in this scribe by the way that he answered. There's something, there's something definitely different between this scribe and this this man that we looked at there in Luke. This man knew that the one true God should be loved with all of the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength. And he also knew that to love one's neighbor as himself was much more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, I think that's really significant, you see, because that was a, that's, that puts him in a different a different plane than most of the Jewish nation. In other words, to him, religion, true religion, was truly a matter of the heart in right relationship with God 
and others. It wasn't rituals. It wasn't routines. It wasn't religious ceremonies. It was a relationship. He knew it had to do with a heart relationship, a love relationship with God. And I say that this scribe seemed to understand this, and so Jesus said, if that's the case, if you really understand that, you're not far from the kingdom. But being not far from the kingdom is not being in the kingdom. Love for God and man comes by way of faith in the revelation of God's love for man. And it's one thing to know that commandment as a commandment. It's another thing to know the love of God for you that puts that commandment in a whole different light. I mean, we're told in the scriptures that we love because he first loved us. And really, I think that's brought out here in these verses that we're we're looking at. This foremost commandment was presented in the context of God's love to his people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. In other words, (coughs) it's because God is your God, because he's shown his love to you, that you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not just an abstract commandment to love God. It's to love the God that has loved you. These Israelites had been supernaturally delivered from the bondage of Egypt. That happened before this commandment was given. God's love had been clearly manifested to them in their helpless and desperate situation. Their response should have been loving faith in their Redeemer, the one who brought them out of bondage. Now, such was not the case with most of the Jewish people and apparently not the case with this scribe at this point in his life. He knew that commandment. He knew the importance of that commandment, these commandments of loving God and loving others. What I'm trying to say here is that knowing the supreme importance of this commandment and intellectually understanding this is not sufficient. It's a step in the right direction, and it's a big step in the right direction when you say that all this ritual and all this external stuff doesn't really matter. What really matters is loving God. That's a big step, but that's not the final step. That's not really the most important step. The motive for obedience to this command is not the command itself. It's the character of God. And there has to be something of the revelation to your heart of the character of God or you won't understand the commandment. It'll be just a commandment. There must be a spiritual revelation of the one true God and his great love for us before anyone will even begin to fulfill these commandments of loving God and neighbor. And I think that's why Jesus could say you're not far from the kingdom. You, you've, got, you've got an intellectual understanding that's showing you 
the importance of love for God and the importance of love for your neighbor. But the real motive for that love comes by way of apprehending and having God reveal to you his love for you. For this scribe, the one who could give that revelation of God's character, and the one who is that revelation of God's character was standing there before him. That's another sense in which Jesus could say, you're not far from the kingdom. I'm standing right in front of you. The one who can give that revelation and the one who is that revelation is speaking to you right now. Whether he ever had that special revelation of Christ's love, we're not told. I could see very well, though, that after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, he surely would have thought back about this conversation. And may well have looked to Christ in faith and began to know the reality of this commandment that he knew intellectually, the reality of loving God because of God's love for him in sending Christ to die on the cross. He could very well have experienced that and began to love God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength and his neighbor as himself. So, anyway, just some thoughts on this scribe who is not far from the kingdom.